0: Welcome to the Island's Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. Hey, so our church has been in a series on the parables for a number of weeks now. We have a couple of weeks left. And today, uh, the parable we're going to be looking at is quite famous. You will probably recognize it when I start talking about it. And as I prepared this sermon for it, I was I always look back at my files to see if I preached a sermon on a text before, and I look back at it to see if there were things I'd used before I'd like to use again. And as I searched for a sermon on this text, I realized I have never, in my entire 25 years of being in uh, occupational ministry, I've never preached a sermon on this text. And that was that was surprising for me, because there are some texts that I've preached multiple sermons on, and this is one I've never preached a message on. And I think maybe as we get into it, you'll see why uh, some of the reason that I have not preached about this uh, parable, and I'll just tell you up front, one of the reasons is this parable is uh, undeniably about money. And the thing about preachers, some preachers talk about money all the time, and some preachers Never talk about money. And I tend to fall into the second category. And And if, if I'm honest with you, kind of like a vulnerable moment, I think that some of the reason uh, I don't talk about money is uh, not all that noble. I think there are some noble reasons, but I think there are some non-noble reasons or ignoble reasons. And one of those ignoble reasons is I'm afraid of you not liking me. I, I know, I know, but I don't talk about money. That's why you love me, right? <laughs> Wait till I start talking about money. And then you're going to be like, well, we did love you. <laughs> And so this is what I'm afraid of. So so if I'm honest, like there's this part of me that's like, I really want you to like me. And like if I talk about money, you won't like me. So that's kind of an ignoble reason, right? There's fear, and I'm just like I'm just being honest and vulnerable with you. You can judge me about that if you want to later. Like our pastors are afraid. Okay, whatever, judge me. It's fine. You're better than me. Got it. Um, but um, so that's kind of the not noble reason that I tend to stay away from this stuff, but there's a noble reason as well, and that's the makeup of our church. Our church tends to have people come to it a lot that are investigating Christianity, they are kind of looking into what the church is about and what uh, Christianity is about. And what do most non-Christians and non-church people believe about churches and about preachers? They're just after your money. Like their whole reason for denying Christ and denying the churches, they're just about, they're just after your money. And so, one of the reasons that I've always avoided it is because the nature of our church. I got, you know got, Where we're positioned on the highway, the way we serve the community, people just tend to come here that are investigating Christianity and just learning about Christianity. And as a, as a teacher, one of the things you know as a teacher is that first things must be first. And so if I tell you that, hey, you need to be generous with your money, but you have yet to meet Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate person of generosity, then I'm actually going to confuse you because you haven't met Jesus yet. So first things have to be first. And so this is one of the reasons I would argue a noble reason why I tend to stay away from these things on a Sunday morning. Now, you catch me on a coffee or, you know, on a Bible study or something, I'm going to talk about money. But on a Sunday morning, our church is made up of a lot of people who are investigating the church and investigating Christianity. Um, With today's parable, though, there is no way for me to avoid it. Like I tried, okay? Uh, so let me make this disclaimer as we get started. If you are one of these people, whether you're attending online, if you're here in the room, if you are one of these people that's kind of like, the church is just after my money and I knew it and that preacher, and you know, I mean, you ought to be able to look at me and tell that I'm not after your money, right? If not, I'll take you out look at my car. You can look at my car afterwards, right? My 2011 Honda Pilot with 240,000 miles on it and a cracked windshield that they want $500 to fix. I'm like, what in the world? I might just buy another car, you know what I mean? <laughs> So, um, but let me just make this disclaimer. Don't construe anything I say today or that we talk about today as a way to say to you that we want you to give or you, we want your money. We, The church here, we don't want your money. Um, I, I think it's obvious that if you attend church here and if you love this church, that if you don't give to it, it'll go away. Like I know, I mean, you do know churches close every day, right? They're closing all the time. So I don't. If you're a believer and you love love Jesus and you love this church, if you don't give anything to this place, it will go away eventually. It just happens, right? There's all kinds of statistics about twenty percent of the church pays eighty percent of the bills and yada yada yada. But don't don't misconstrue anything I say that hey, we want your money. Secondly, don't misconstrue anything I say that I want your money because I don't want your money either. I, I don't like the strings that get attached with your money. Okay. So um, everything I'm saying today, and the the reason we do church is we want you to meet Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the key to the life you deeply want. The life you actually want is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's just jump into the parable. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. If you have your Bibles or your phone, you can go there. Uh, just to set the scene up uh, in, in Luke chapter 12, verse one, there's an interesting passage that says that crowds were gathering, large crowds were gathering around Jesus. Uh, thousands of people, literally says thousands of people, and that they were basically uh, clamoring on top of each other and you know falling on top of each other. Like this is Jesus has got a massive crowd around him. All right, and so that's the scene: massive crowd of people. Verse 13, chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him. "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" It's our first clue. Jesus replied, "'Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you.'" Then he said to them, "'Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions.'" And he told them this parable, "'The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest.'" He thought to himself, "'What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops.'" Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord, unfortunately. <laughs> right? It's, this is hard teaching. So there's this massive crowd around Jesus because he's famous, he's well-known. And uh, there's this guy who makes a request. Do you see that in verse 13? Do you see the man's request? What is his request in verse 13? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Have you guys ever been in a family that had an inheritance squabble? Everybody's like, no, I, I, yeah, I know all about it, right? I've, I've helped people with this, talked to people about this. When fight, when families get to fighting over inheritance, it's ugly. So we can assume that this guy is in major conflict with his brother, like his family member. He's in major conflict. And what's the conflict over? Everybody say money, money. People always say money does funny things to people. You know what I like to say? Money does funny things to me. That's what I like to say. Cause I, it's not just people. It's me too. And so what's happening, there is some money involved. Now, the way inheritance worked then wasn't necessarily liquid money. There's land and all the emotion associated with land. And so this man, there, there, he wants Jesus to come and, and, and handle this situation for him. Tell my brother to, to give me half the inheritance. There's a lot of Jewish background there about how the, uh, the oldest son would have gotten uh, a double share and any other sibling would have gotten one share. And so what this what this brother's wanting to have happen is for Jesus to trump tradition and to overcome tradition and to like him to get a bigger share. He wants more money out of the inheritance. He wants more than what he should be getting. All right. And so my question that I have about this story is why would this man ask Jesus this? Like, what, so just like give me, give you a clue about how I study the Bible. Cause you know, like preachers aren't magical. We don't like read the Bible and go, Oh, there's a sermon, right? When we read the Bible, we have to like study. We have to look at commentaries. I listen to other people preach on this passage. I just like, and I sit and think for a long time, like, what is, like, why is this guy? Why is he asking Jesus this question? That's a strange thing to me. I mean, there were no civil courts, no 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 judges to go to in that day. What you would normally do in this situation is you would go to a a rabbi who basically sits at the city gate. uh, You would go to the Sanhedrin. You would go to a a Jewish governing body, and you would be like, hey, this is a conflict I'm having. Will the elders help solve this? And so uh, why would he ask Jesus? Like Jesus has no authority in this situation, none whatsoever. Jesus is not a certified you know, rabbi. He didn't go to rabbinical school. He's not a member of the Sanhedrin. There's no reason why he would ask Jesus to solve this for him. And I thought a long time about that question, and I think, I think, I don't know this because this actually happened. I think the reason the man asked Jesus about this question is because he had heard, he'd been following Jesus for a few days, and in, if you read the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about money in the Gospel of Luke constantly. He talks about money more than anything else in all the gospels except for the kingdom of God. But in the gospel of Luke, it is over the top, constantly talking about money. Parables have allusions to money. He's talking about the warnings of, of trusting money, just like over and over and over again. So I'm thinking this brother, this guy, has been following Jesus around for the past, you know, a few days and weeks, and he's been hearing all these sermons, and he's going, Jesus, you're preaching some really good sermons about money, and I'm loving what you're saying about money, but you know what? My brother needs to hear these sermons. Y'all don't ever do that to you. You, Do you ever do that? Do you ever sit in a sermon that I'm preaching and you think about somebody who should be hearing it right now? Do you ever do that? Stop doing that. (laughs) Because I'm going to tell you why. When you're doing that, you're missing an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak to what's going on in your heart. Because we all love looking out the window at other people's problems they need to fix. But we all need to get better at looking in the mirror at what's going on in our lives. And what's happening to this brother is he's thinking, hey, my brother needs to hear what you've got to say about money and about generosity. He needs to hear all that you've been saying about how we can't trust money and, 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 and how we got to like give money away. And I, I think that you, Jesus, if you came to my brother's house and you gave him one of your great sermons on money, if you told him what I've been hearing you say, surely he would do what you tell him to do, and then I will get what I want. Will, will you preach a sermon that will get my brother to do what I want? Will you help me with this, Jesus? Now notice that the man in our story is not really interested in Jesus. Do you see that? He's interested in what Jesus can do for him. And that's not familiar to us at all, is it? He's not interested in being his follower or surrendering his life to him, but he does want something from Jesus. Something now, very important, something he believes with all of his heart, he believes he needs. You see, this brother is not just like, I really want to get the inheritance because I've got my owls on a new Ford truck I want to buy. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. It's like, I need this inheritance so that I can survive into my old age. Do you see that difference? A lot of times for us, inheritance is like, it'll make our life easier, but it won't make us where we can survive. What this man is experiencing in this story is he sees the inheritance as the lifeline for him, that this is how he will survive. This is something that I need you to do for me, Jesus. I need you to do this for me. And Jesus rejects him. He rejects him. He he rejects his desire. People will say, bring your deepest desire to Jesus and your harsh desire, and he'll give it to you. This guy's heart's desire is to have the inheritance split with him. He needs it. And Jesus rejects him. Now, can any of you relate to this man for a moment? Have you ever wanted, or deeply needed, or have been obsessed with something that you wanted Jesus to do for you so badly that if you were honest right now, you wanted Jesus to do this thing for you more than you wanted Jesus Himself? Anybody? I got to get this new job. Lord, help me get this new job. Help me. And if you think honestly, deep down. I desire this new job more than I desire Jesus himself. Jesus, I need a pay bump. Jesus, I need to meet a man. I need to meet a woman. Jesus, we want to, even deeply emotional ones. We believe we need children. We want to have children. Do this for us. Do, save my marriage. Do this for me. That's a noble thing to pray for and ask Jesus, do this thing for me. And if you get really deep down in your heart, what you realize is that you want the thing you want that you believe you need, that you're obsessed with, you want it more than you want Jesus. And he just won't ever sit in the second chair behind your desires. And the reason is, is because our brother thought that getting the inheritance would fulfill him and satisfy him and give him safety and security. And Jesus knew that it wouldn't. Just like when we believe that this thing that we have to have, and this obsession, this Jesus, please please do this for me, and we think if I get this, I'll be satisfied, I'll be fulfilled, I'll be happy, I'll be whatever it is, I'll have what I need to have. Jesus says, I can't give that to you because you're believing a lie that will not satisfy you, that will not fulfill you. The only thing that will satisfy you, the only thing that will fulfill you, is being in relationship with me, Jesus Christ. And until you want me more than anything else, everything else will be a false idol to you. This is what's happening with this man. This is why he rejects him. And this man, like all of us, he's blind to be he's blind to Jesus being the one thing he needs. He's blind to that. Because he's obsessed. He thinks, "Hey, I need to be safe, secure, and happy." And friends, I'm telling you, sitting here attending online, everybody here, we want to be safe, secure, and everybody say happy. Happy. And we have in our idea things that we think we need to be safe, secure, and happy. If it's more money, a bigger retirement. I mean, I have them in my mind. Don't, don't like I'm not preaching this sermon to you. I'm preaching this sermon to us. Because it's in my mind too, man. Like we have these things that we want to be safe, secure, and happy. And if I have this, then I would have it. And we want those things more than we want Jesus. Now, after his rejection, the man asks for the request, and then Jesus rejects him. Says who? Who appoint? I have not been appointed to be. I have not been appointed is what he says to be your to be the judge or the arbiter in this case. Which, real quickly, when Jesus says that he has not been appointed to be the judge, and he says he's not appointed to be the arbiter, the word arbiter means divider. And I heard a really bad sermon on this text one time where the guy said um, Jesus doesn't want to be a divider. He's not a divider. This is why he tells the man, I'm not here to divide you and your brother. And I'm like, bro, just go down to the end of this chapter, verse 51 of this chapter. Jesus said, I do not think I've come to bring peace on the earth, but I have come to bring a fire. And I wish that it were kindled already, for I will divide mother against son and father against daughter. Like he says, point blank, I am a divider. Like if you follow Jesus and you have family who thinks you're a fool for following Jesus, guess what that is? Division. Division. If your son, if you're an atheist and you don't believe in God and your son surrenders their life to Christ, guess what that is? Division. So Jesus is a divider. So so this is one of those situations where he says, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a bit appointed to this kind of division. I'm not interested in dividing temporal, temporary, material things. I am only interested in dividing the things that matter. Life from death. That's the only thing I'm trying to divide living from the dying not a man from his wealth it's all empty anyway you see what i'm saying now that was free i didn't write that Like that, So in prepping for sermons, you read all kind of stuff and you listen to all kind of stuff. That was something I had heard, and I was like, man, that's really good, but I don't have time to share it. But then I'm in the middle of preaching this, and I'm like, I'm sharing it anyway, right? So if we go like three minutes late, that's what it was. That's what caused it, okay? Like, if you're later going, he preaches so long. Like, that was free. If you liked it, then that was it, okay? Stop judging me. So, So Jesus tells this story. He comes out of having the conversation with the man. He rejects him. Hey, I'm not doing this kind of division. I don't do this kind of judging. I do some judging in the division, but I don't do this kind. Um, and he tells a story, he tells a famous story. Maybe, maybe you've heard. It. Have you heard that story before? The story of the rich man, the rich man who had a windfall of cash. All of a sudden, he won the lottery. He had a he had an uncle die, and like he just got a phone call from a lawyer. Guess what? You have twenty million dollars. It came out of nowhere. If anybody ever fantasized about that happening, I have, right? usually once a week, right? And so and so and so he's had a windfall, like his crops have hit bigger than he ever thought. And it's huge. And I got you got to see the details of the story. The man is already wealthy. Do you remember the story a few years ago where a guy who won the lottery back in the early 2000s and uh he said, "Yeah, I've been shopping for a helicopter anyway. This is going to help." I'm like, "So this guy was wealthy, because you know, poor people don't buy helicopters, y'all you know that, right? Okay, this guy was wealthy and he won the lottery already wealthy, right? So, like, he's gonna be able to upgrade his helicopter. So, this this is the kind of story. This guy's already wealthy, he's already well-to-do, he already has barns, he already has farmland, um, he's already doing well, and he has this windfall. And what does he do with his windfall? What does he do with it? He keeps it. He we might say in our economy that he gets this windfall and He diversifies. He buys more shares. He grows his portfolio so that the future might be more, everybody say secure, secure. So that I might be safer moving forward. So what is he trying to do? This is an important, he's trying to take uh, the, the windfall that's happened to him. Now as Christians, we would say the blessing that has happened to him, but he wouldn't say that. He's trying to take the windfall, the, 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 the wealth that's come to him, and he's trying to maximize it for his greatest security and safety. He's trying to get his wealth to do something it is not designed to do. That's a principle. Memorize it, learn it, love it. Wealth is not designed to give us safety and security. And when you look for it to do that, you will always be disappointed. Okay, But he's trying to do that. He's taking his wealth and he's trying to turn it into uh, a it for his own safety and security. Well, he's got a great retirement plan. Can we all agree? I mean, he's got barns upon barns. He tore down, good, perf- tore down perfectly good barns to build bigger ones. Like I always think like, it's a great story because Jesus could have said he built bigger barns beside his smaller barns. But no, he spent money tearing down barns. And he built bigger barns. Well, he's got this great retirement plan. Things are looking good. I'm going to be able to live now well into my old age. I have everything I need. I'm not going to have to worry about anything. And what happens to him on the night that he makes the final deal? He closes the final deal. They put the last bag of corn in the barn. They so they, they finalize the last deal on the last stock, the last share. He, he gets the last deal done to maximize his future. That night he goes to bed all full of fat and happy. Probably has a big. Pour of bourbon and a big cigar, and he's laying there, and he thinks, "Self, you have done it. You have nothing to worry about moving forward." On that night, what happens to this man? Dead. He's dead. He breathes his last. What he he had prepared for his future, what he thought was his future, he prepared for what he thought was his future, but he didn't know that his future was over. And there it was. Once everything was secure for his future, his future ended. Now, another question I asked about this text, and when you're reading the Bible, you should ask questions about the Bible. You shouldn't just read it, right? You should ask questions, especially the Gospels. So the question I asked about this text was, man, Jesus, why would you tell this story in response to the man who wanted his inheritance? I mean, this is just the guy who's going, I'm being treated unfairly. Can we all say that when someone's getting treated unfairly, that someone should stick up for them? This is how this guy sees himself. Now, is he really being treated unfairly? We don't know. We just know he sees himself that way. He's just like, man, I'm being treated unfairly, Jesus. I want half the inheritance. Will you tell my brother, preach one of those good sermons about money to him so he'll give me half my inheritance? And, and Jesus goes, oh, okay, no, no, I'm not going to do that, but I got a story for you. Well, Jesus, why are you, why are you telling this story to this man in response to his situation? But he gives us the answer. Verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So Jesus made a judgment call on this man's character. And what was the judgment call he made about the man? That he's greedy. Now, we're going to do a little test. Everyone who believes they're greedy, raise their hand. All right. That's pretty good. That's great, actually. I fully anticipated nobody to raise their hand. (laughs) The rest of you didn't, you're liars. It's all good. (laughs) We're gonna stop this sermon and go to a new one. So in the Ten Commandments, that's good. So the the thing is, like Jesus, Jesus is seeing what's driving this man, what's driving this man is a desire uh, to get more to secure his future and his safety. The the man, the brother who asked for Jesus' help. And he's saying to him, Hey, you need to be careful. You need to be careful because here's the thing. This this motivation that's going on inside of you to get more, to be safe, to be secure. It never gets satiated. It never gets satisfied. It's always going to want more. If you believe wealth will bring security and safety, then guess how much you need to have in the bank to feel safe and secure. Anybody know the number? No, the answer is this, more than you currently have. And that will always be the answer. And so what Jesus is saying is, like, listen, don't let this thing get, don't let greed get its hooks in you because it's dangerous because it will lead you to become a person who's always believing they need more to be safe and to be secure. Your life is bigger than what you possess, he says to the man. Our lives are bigger than what we possess. We are more than what sits in our garage, what's on our kitchen counter, what, you know, the we're more than the things we own. Our obsessed brother believed that his inheritance was his key to his future. But Jesus is literally saying, "No, your inheritance is not the key to your future." And the wealthy man in our parable thought the key to his future was his wealth. But it wasn't. So, Stephen, if I cannot get security and safety from my investment accounts, my retirement accounts, how do I get safety and security? Where is it? Well, Jesus tells us how to find safety and security. In the very last sentence after he tells the story, verse 21, he says this. In referring to the man who died because of his greed and avarice, Jesus said this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So, how do you find safety and security in this life? You be rich toward God. Simple. Be rich toward God. Okay, great. What does that mean? (laughs) This is what I do when I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Does that mean we give all our money away? It's like, I'm going to be rich to you, God. I'm going to give everything I have away. I'm just going to make myself poor. I'm going to give everything I have away. Is that what it means? Uh, uh, Do we have to be poor in order to be saved? I remember that was a question my sister-in-law asked me one time. She goes, Stephen, do we just have to be poor in order to be saved and be a Christian? I said, no, you don't have to be poor, but it certainly helps. (laughs) I mean, you want to meet some people with big faith? Find some people with empty, empty pantries and empty refrigerators you go back and talk to my grandmother in uh 1942 43 when my father would tell me they'd have nothing in their house to eat the next day and he would see her at the dining room table with her head bowed with the bible open praying and asking the lord to bring them food and the next morning a man would show up with two chickens and a pot of something for their family to eat on that day and she'd be doing it the next night i found years years after uh, a few years after my year, my dad died i was digging through some of this stuff and i found my grandmother's income tax return for a year and her giving statement at a little Baptist church in Savannah for the same year. So I could see how much she earned and I could see how much she gave. This widow woman who had been widowed since the 40s, in her 70s, taking in seamstress work, alteration work, gave 20% of her income to the Lord. I'm like, I am not living your legacy, Grandma, and I'm sorry. What, like, I'm not saying you have to be poor to have faith and to be saved. I'm just saying it does help. Because when you don't have anything to trust in or depend on, like money, you tend to look to the Lord. And so. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to talk about my grandmother and it <laughs> got me choked up. Um there's um there's all type of research out there that says the wealthiest people in our culture and our society are the least generous. I don't know why that is. If you're wealthy or watching this online or here in the room, maybe you can come tell me. I don't know why that is. The reason um, I think it might be the reason I think it might happen is the reason it happened to our farmer, and what I think happens to all of us as we acquire wealth is trusting money for our future blinds us to some realities. Trusting money for our future blinds us to some realities. Uh, What happened to our farmer was uh, had a windfall, and then he invested everything he had, everything he got, and he shared nothing with others. And as his wealth went up, his sense of control over his life went up. That's a principle. We tend to fall for this lie that as my wealth goes up, my sense of control over my life goes up. And blinders came on his eyes as his barns got bigger. And what did he get blind to? So him trusting his money, you and I trusting our money for our future blinds us to a basic reality. And here it is, okay? Here's the the reality you get blind to. We get blind to the fact that there is a spiritual realm. The more money we get acquired, the more we tend to believe that this material world is all there is. Now, we wouldn't say that, but our lives indicate that. Like this, this farmer might say, oh no, I believe in a God and a heaven, but his barns suggested that he didn't. And so the more money, the more we trust money, the more we believe it'll give us our future and keep us safe, the more it blinds us to the fact that there is a God, that there is a life after this life, listen to this, that, that, that uh, we will be held accountable for how we use our worldly wealth in that life after this life. And that's news to you, like, I'll say it again, we will be held accountable for how we use our worldly wealth in the life after this life. And Jesus wants to make it super clear to you and to I that there is a spiritual realm. And that greed, the reason he's warning us against greed is that greed has a tendency to blind us. I like to say that, that when it comes to our illnesses, uh, our sicknesses, our fear of you know, um, bad things happening, we all have deep faith in God. But when it comes to our money, we're all kind of like financial atheists. We, we, just, we just trust our money more. We trust in money more. And so Jesus is trying to say, no, you, there's a, there's a spiritual realm, and you you're blind to that. So think about this for a second. Jesus tells us to store up for ourselves treasures where? In heaven. Now think about that practically. What does he mean practically? To store up treasures in heaven. Now, how would you do that? I'll th- just think about that for a second. How would you do that? Uh, let me share something else he said. That was in Matthew six twenty, by the way. So if you want to write that down, Matthew six twenty tells us to store up treasures in heaven. This is an interesting thing Jesus said. Luke chapter sixteen verse nine. You could jot that down. Look at this later. In Luke chapter sixteen verse nine, Jesus said, said this. So perplexing. Well, it's not perplexing, but it's if if you don't believe there's a spiritual realm and life after death, and yeah. this is a tough text. Verse nine says this. I tell you. This is Jesus speaking. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, when the worldly wealth is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Can I read it again? Let this one sit on you a minute, okay? I tell you, use worldly wealth. That means that's the money you're currently in your pocket or in your bank account. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves Comma, so that when it is gone, what's gone? The worldly wealth. When the worldly wealth is gone, that means when you die. Because guess what's gone when you die? Every, all your barns. So when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And there's so much here. I, I don't have time to preach another sermon. But Jesus is suggesting that the way I use my wealth will impact my experience in eternity. I'm just reading the Bible. I don't don't write the mail, I just deliver it. That's what he's saying here. That somehow the way I use my worldly wealth is going to gain for me friends and somehow are going to impact the eternity. I don't understand it. I'm just reading what Jesus said. Or Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Listen to this. Luke chapter twelve verse thirty three. It says, "Sell your possessions." Now, stop for a second. This is the point where everybody reads that and they go, "Oh, I gotta sell everything I have." Does the Bible say that? What does it say? Sell your possessions. You could say it this way: Sell some of your possessions. Do you need two trucks? Do you need two boats? Do you need a vacation home? Do you need all those shoes? Right. So, what does (laughs) text? There's somebody over here going, this dude's going to meddling, I'm leaving. Um, Messing with my shoes, I'm out. But um, but Jesus Jesus is saying sell sell your possessions. He's not saying sell all your possessions, sell everything you have. No, like that's crazy. That's that's impractical. But look around and say, you know, do we need all this? Let's sell some of this and let's give it to some people who have less. Let's buy some grocery cards for some people. Have y'all seen the price of groceries? Yeah? Let's do something. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now listen to this next part. Going, thinking about that Luke passage. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Pause, pause, pause. Look at me. Why would you need a purse in heaven? I don't know. But Jesus said you better provide for yourself. I've never been. And if I'm going, I'm not coming back. Jesus says, provide, so he says, sell some of your possessions, give it to the poor. Why Why would I do that, Jesus? So you can provide purses for yourself. What do you put in a purse? Money. Jesus talks a lot about money, doesn't he, Matt? It's crazy. And he's talking about some kind of eternal wealth. I don't even understand it. But provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven. There's something I gotta send ahead. I gotta get ready. There's an economy. I better get ready for it. And how do I get ready? What are, what are, how, how do I invest? How do I get ready for this treasure? How do I get ready for heaven? having a purse there? I sell some possessions and I give to the poor. In other words, I invest in people because in Jesus' economy, people matter more than anything. And so this is what Jesus is saying, that there's a spiritual reality, there's a spiritual realm. There's a world beyond this world. And we are accountable for how we steward our worldly wealth for God's kingdom. So, how are we rich toward God? Thinking about these passages. How are you rich toward God? Simply, you don't keep everything you have for yourself. I didn't say you get rid of everything you have. just said you don't keep everything you have for yourself. You don't see the key to life getting more and more and more. We don't keep everything we have for ourselves. We see everything we own, everything in our bank account, everything in our stock market. We see everything we have as belonging to God and that you and I are simply stewarding for Him and investing in the things that He would invest in if you would let Him have control of your money. And what would He invest in? People. Specifically, people to come to know Christ and people to be fed and clothed and taken care of. This is too much. I know. Simply put, saying this way, how are we rich, how are we rich toward God, when we have extra, we don't, we we don't have to keep. When we look at our life and we say, I, I'm, "God's blessed me," we give some of it away. And a better way to think about it is not giving it away. Honestly, I think that's foolish. I think we talk wrong about this. I think a better way to think about it is we invest some of it for our eternal purses. That we we store up some for a kingdom that we haven't been to, but Jesus said you're going to need a purse. That's how you actually secure your future. So I'm going to finish this. I have just a little left, so stay with me. If all there is in this world is the physical realm. If the materialists are right, if the atheists are right, if all there is is the material world, that's no spiritual realm, then look at me, you would be a fool to give a dime of your money away for anybody ever. Why should you care if people starve and don't have clothes? That's, there, that's on them. If there is no, if nothing else but the material world, you need to save everything you can for you because you don't ever know when something bad is going to happen. If all there is, you understand what I'm saying? If all there is is the material world, then you would be a fool to give any of your money away. But if there is a spiritual realm, you would be and I would be a fool to not invest something into heaven. I would be a fool to not realize that, hey, there's a day coming where I better have sent something ahead. I would be a fool if I really believed that, to not invest something in heaven. Think about it this way. If I won $10 million, or if you gave me $10 million, that'd be better. If I had $10 million windfall into my life and I spent every last penny on fishing gear, boots, and guns, Every last penny, I'm talking, except for the warehouses to hold by fishing gear, boots, and guns, right? I bought big warehouses, and I filled, and $10 million of of a warehouse full of boots, uh, fishing gear, and guns. I spent every, I'm 47 years old, I spent every bit of $10 million on. And some of you are going, that sounds, I like this preacher. Boots, fishing gear, and guns. This guy, this guy's definitely saved. Um, But if I spent, if I spent every dollar on boots, fishing gear, and guns, and not a dime into my future or investments or any of that, would you call me a fool? Yeah. But yet, when we invest nothing into heaven, living like that's not even real, we are just as foolish. We are just as foolish as a man spending $10 million on boots, fishing gear, and guns. Now, this is the moment where everyone wants to know, Stephen, well, is it okay for me to have some money? Is it okay for me to have what I have? Do I have too much? Am I okay? Stephen, tell me. (laughs) Well, I, I don't think I have the authority or have been given the authority to decide that for you. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a part of me that's like, well, how much do you have? But I'm fighting that urge right now. Okay, <laughs> I really, I really am fighting that urge. No, but, but if, if I'm going to be honest, like the truth of the scripture is, I have not been given the authority to answer that question for you. I have not been appointed as judge and arbiter for you. That's a question you ought to ask Jesus. That's a question you ought to sit down with the scriptures. You ought to read sit down with Jesus. You ought to talk to him. You ought to talk to him like he's your best friend. You ought to say, Jesus, I want to make sure I'm sending ahead some purses. Will you help me to know how we can be more generous in our family? How we can invest more in what matters to you? And I, I love this, by the way. Every place that Jesus talks about this, he always makes it clear that you are in you in be, investing into God's kingdom, you being rich toward God, always benefits you. He never hides that. He never hides that. He's never like, well, you shouldn't really do it to benefit you. He's like, you better get some treasure in heaven, bro. You're going to need it. You better get yourself some purses. You're going to need it. Like he never hides the fact that this is for your benefit. It's the most self-serving thing we can do. Invest and be rich in God's kingdom. So you should ask Jesus, Jesus, I want to get this right. But when you ask him, you need to remember this. He's the only one who's ever emptied his barns completely for God's kingdom. Second Corinthians 8, 9, will you stand with me? In a moment, we're going to read this together out loud, and then I'm going to pray. We're going to read it a couple times out loud together, and then I'm going to pray. And then if you want to talk to somebody today, you want to pray with somebody. Stacia will be up here. Uh, Chris Moreland will be right here. They'd love to meet with you and pray with you. It could be you want to pray about anything. They would love to talk with you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Let's read this together out loud. Ready? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do it again? Y'all want to do it again? We don't need to get to lunch yet. Let's read it again. One, two, three. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. One more time. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So ask the judge and the arbiter if you are being rich toward God. Father, thank you that Jesus is rich toward us. That he did not consider equality with you as something to be gripped and held on to, as Paul tells us in Philippians. But that he emptied himself and took on the form of a man and actually a slave. And he submitted himself to your authority to the point of death and not just any death, but the death on a cross. And that, Lord, you were faithful You were faithful to him that though he had died and been buried, you resurrected him and you raised his name to be the name that is above every other name. And you gave him this safety and this security of life because he trusted you over anything else. And I pray, Father, that we might trust you over our wealth. We might trust you over everything. Give us the courage to ask your son, Jesus, our brother, whether we are being rich toward you. And thank you that he emptied his barns for us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, friends. Have a blessed week and a wonderful day. We love you.